You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. Market participants will doubtlessly be looking back at the first trading week post the holiday period and saying, it's actually been quite interesting. And is there more to come of this interest? For example, consumer price inflation in the United States came out at 5% in the month of March 2023. And that's the lowest increase since May 2021. So nearly two years. So that's a good sign. The UK growth came out a couple of days ago. And goodness me, at 0% growth, I'm Jeremy Hunt. He really is a very optimistic man by um, taking the positives out of that. Uh, also, the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, has almost indicated to central bankers that they should still be vigilant despite the US inflation rate coming down. With me now is Jason Borbera-Sheen, Portfolio Manager at 91 in London. It is an interesting week, and I'll come to the dollar later, which is the most interesting to me. But what did you make of the data and the comments, please, Jason? Yeah, so the big one there for me, at least, is, and I think probably most market participants, the uh, US and its inflation dynamics. So probably two pieces of information relevant here. Firstly, as you say, uh, CPI coming in slightly below perhaps expectations, not meaningfully. The underlying details, probably not either too much of a surprise for, for those that would watch it closely. The biggest probably move that we saw was in rents and shelter costs coming down. That has been expected and anticipated for quite a while. The timing of when it would come through was was unsure. And essentially the way it's calculated in the official numbers lags probably the real life experience of those seeking, for example, to rent new accommodation. So we could see that you know data live, given sort of more uh, contemporaneous measures of, of online rent, for example. So we were expecting that to come in. Beneath the surface, probably nothing too malign, I would say, on the inflation data. So what we're seeing is a probably very gradual cooling of inflation data. And it's taking probably quite a while to come through. The other element, PPI, so producer price um, inflation, that came in much more meaningfully below expectations actually yesterday, and I think was more of a cause for celebration amongst market participants. So those two things, I think, matter a lot. The UK side, I mean, internationally, is a small piece of the puzzle. I think, you know, the IMF forecasts, one has to take with a bit of a pinch of salt, and as you would with probably any forecasts, but essentially the IMFC the UK very exposed to commodity prices, you know, in particular natural gas prices, an interest rate sensitive economy, although many are. I think the UK is necessarily outstanding in that respect. If you look at, for example, the nature of mortgages, yes, there are sort of meaningful floating rate mortgages, but not as much as you may find elsewhere in the world. And then also, I suppose, post-Brexit, the nature of trade in the UK is less certain and the data is bearing that out. I think the interesting thing about the UK also is just how the Bank of England is slightly out of step with the rest of the major central banks. It's much more forecast driven. Now that may prove to be wise, or it may prove to be a bit of a mistake in terms of inflation, because most other central banks have gone to saying, well, there's sort of ice on the road, if you will, in the form of inflation, and we need to clear that now. Whereas the UK is saying, well, this is gonna melt away eventually. So there's a difference going on there. How much of a sequence do we need to see when it comes to inflation um, abating somewhat, whether it be consumer price inflation or producer price inflation? In other words, does the Fed sit down and say, "Okay, this was good. This was uh, slightly below expectations, but we need to see a couple more months. How many months do you think they need to say, "Okay, interest rates have peaked and we may even start cutting at the end of the year or next year? The immediate reaction from Fed speakers that were available actually on the day, so the likes of Harker, was that this was a sort of non-event, which 
plays to the fact that it was pretty much in line with expectations. I think they need sequentially to see probably three to six months worth of data coming in meaningfully lower than it is now. I mean, remember that core CPI is still printing at 5.6%. So it's not a, it's not within their target yet. The, I think change of heart would come possibly around a recession hitting harder, which is what remains our base case. Ultimately that the Fed have done a lot very quickly. Historically, that has led to a slowdown in growth. There are leads and lags with which that occurs. But ultimately, our view is that that will manifest itself in a major slowdown in the US. And I think we shouldn't confuse the order of things. Stuff like SVB's bankruptcy isn't suggestive that there is stress within the financial system itself. It's symptomatic of what higher interest rates do to an economy. And it basically shakes out the weaker players across sectors. So that's why we see a slowdown coming. That slowdown should cause inflation to fall. I think historically the best solution and medicine for inflation is a recession. And if you go back to the sort of post-World War II period of time, 1946 to 48, you had inflation at 20%. You then had a fairly modest recession and you actually had outright deflation. And a lot of the parallels, I think, to the current era where you had big stimulus from central banks, where you had a lot of consumer demand having been pent up can be played out in the current era relative to that time. Um, So I think the Fed can eventually cut. It just depends on whether inflation is continuing to come down and if growth is slow. And I think the real nerve point for investors is going to hit when you see inflation actually not coming down so quickly, but you see growth decelerating fast and the Fed has sort of sat back from that. And the fact that, you know, the Fed have continued to sort of talk a fairly hawkish game, I think, in this context is is suggestive that they will stick to their knitting in that respect. But we'll have to really see the whites of their eyes later this year. The most interesting thing to me this week has been the movement of the US dollar, which has fallen, not hugely, but quite a sharp reaction. And I just wonder if it's thin conditions post-holiday or if this is something meaningful, because given what the IMF says, in other words, we've got to keep rates um, pretty tight here. On the other hand, the market says, well, in the United States, at least we're betting that they're going to come down now. And hence, the fall in the US dollar. And if it continues this fall, if this becomes a trend, and when currencies get in a trend, they carry on for a long, long time, this will be meaningful for every single asset class, Jason. I think that's right. I think here you have to sort of look at how the dollar performs in different environments. And the important element of it is that the market suspects that weakness in growth is going to emanate from the US. So you essentially have a central bank which raised rates very, very sharply starting in 2022. And consequently, as we've touched on, growth is going to slow there. Other central banks, though, did follow suit. They just did it a bit later. So the European Central Bank did it also. And I think simply we're seeing the same effects play out across the world, but hit at different times. The place which is different is China. And there you saw a complete, you know, sort of zigging while the rest of the world was zagging to the extent that they were you know, locked down for longer, they haven't done as much in terms of extraordinary monetary policy, etc., don't have an inflation issue, and so haven't had to act so aggressively. So you've got that sort of polarity occurring where the US could be slowing, but China could be accelerating. That potentially is a negative for the dollar. I think also, if it is the case that weakness emanates from the US, then it makes sense that they're pricing, you know, potentially lower rates in the future and that the dollar acts on that. The issue, of course, is this sort of what's referred to as the smile theory of the dollar, whereby when things really go wrong, capital flows back to the US and the dollar remains the world's reserve currency. And people want that more than any other asset. And you've seen it continually in big crises. 
but it does depend on the nature of any slowdown. If the US slows down, the rest of the world actually sort of bobs around, then we can see, make a case for why the dollar might be weaker. If the US slows down meaningfully and there's a series of credit crunch type events, I'm not suggesting a rerun of 08, but certainly of more systemic stress, then I think the dollar can appreciate in that context, even if the reason for the slowing emanates from the US. Just going back to China very quickly, their export numbers were very surprising this week. I think the latest number is a 14.8% increase in exports. Okay, maybe it's coming out of the doldrums, but on the other hand, some countries zigging and others zagging, and the zag is, is yeah. China here. Can this continue, or is it just an aberration because of its low base? I think... The main point is that China is starting to grow faster. And I'm not sure that the export numbers necessarily suggest that the rest of the world is very strong, because that's what you'd be looking to. Mm. I think there's a bit of an issue that obviously there's going to be a backlog from China having been closed. You then have had Chinese Lunar New Year also. I think we need to see a bit more data in that regard. But certainly, a lot of the information we're seeing in terms of credit supply in China, in terms of some of the property data in China, suggests that basing is occurring there and that growth can accelerate. And I think people remain quite pessimistic about China's prospects, but it, it's taking a different path to the rest of the world. Jason, thanks so much for your analysis. That's Jason Borborashin, Portfolio Manager at 91 in London. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organization, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.